Okay, our next question comes from Joe, who is also a physicist. Um, his question concerns evolution in PMR, which is physical matter reality, and opportunities for evolving quantity, quality of consciousness. Geological and biological evolution within our Earth system, PMR, forms the basis of our current human understanding of the charges, of the changes and events that have occurred over time. Assuming that PMR evolution has been governed by the same rule set that has been in place from the beginning of PMR time, it would appear that the specific opportunities for evolution of the quality of consciousness on our planet have also changed or evolved. This implies that some of the sentient beings that currently operate within our present-day PMR started as lower-order creatures. Therefore, consciousness filling various PMR niches starting as bacteria and eventually filling the evolving niches that have occurred over time that have occurred over time over the eons. It also implies that the current plant and animal kingdom provides opportunities for some evolving consciousness also. His first question is, I'll start with, there's four questions. I'll just start with the first one. Does this align with the Hindu concept of reincarnation? Um, yes. Uh, the My Big Toe theory does uh, have a concept of reincarnation. Uh, I call it an experience packet, but that's just because I like to, to avoid the baggage that comes with words like reincarnation. But I think uh, among us, we can use that word and it won't put anybody off. But anyway, yes. And the reason that reincarnation is a, has to be included. It's not like I, I uh, like the idea of reincarnation, so I worked it into my theory. It doesn't work like that. It's that the theory requires it. It's a logically required part of it. And the reason is that because entropy reduction is the purpose, evolution's the purpose, and the way we evolve is by changing ourselves. Okay? We are pieces of the information system. We need to create information. We need to evolve the quality of our consciousness. That is a slow process. That's not something. Changing yourself is not something that is, that is an easy thing to do. And it takes time because learning is cumulative and that's just a fact of life a fact of existence that learning is cumulative right you can't learn calculus until you learn how to add and subtract so you start at the beginning and you keep adding and you can't learn all of it all at once because you got to start at the bottom and then you learn and then you build on that and build on that if it's cumulative and if we're in this virtual reality with these avatars that are that have to abide by the constraints of the rule set these avatars don't go that long. You know, these avatars, you know, go maybe 100 years or so. And maybe even if we could work them up to 200 years, they're limited, right? That's, so the avatar has to recycle because that's the rule set. The biology, the rule set, you know, it makes it such that your avatar doesn't last but for so long. That's one thing. Two, even if it did last a long time, it would be inefficient because we tend to work ourselves into, into corners. We end up with beliefs and, and, you know, but we get older and we start thinking that we know everything. You know, I've been there, done that, seen it all, know it all. And basically what that means is you're so stuck in your beliefs that you can't see anything else. So having an avatar that went on and on and on and on wouldn't be very efficient because you get so wadded up in your beliefs and fears that you're just no longer very productive in fulfilling your purpose, changing, growing. Um, so it's time to let that avatar go and take another shot at it with a fresh slate so that you can, you can uh, get rid of all those fears and beliefs and things that you, that you had before. So it's really handy because, one, learning requires repetition, it requires you to accum accumulate, you know, first first step, then second step, then third step. So it's it's iterative, and the avatar is limited, and we are limited as well. So th this idea of reincarnation that you have to go through this entropy reduction trainer again and again and again because one day you know we do an analogy to like a flight trainer. Pilots go through a lot of 
simulated flying, particularly when it's the panic kind of flying. You know, my engines just quit. I'm at 10,000 feet. You know, what do I do? You don't want to put that pilot in that situation because it's critical, could kill himself and, you know, the people with him and ruin a very expensive plane. So you try to do a lot of that uh, critical emergency stuff in a simulator. So you put the pilot in a simulator that looks just like the cockpit of his airplane, has all the same knobs and dials and everything else, except the computer is is uh, creating a virtual reality. Then all the engines can fail and you can see what the pilot can do about it, you know, because he can he switch the right switches and pull the right knobs and do everything he needs to do to maximize the probability of survival or does he not? Well, that's how he learns to deal with those kinds of things. So it's a it's a flight simulator. Well, we are and and the pilot doesn't just go through it once. The pilot doesn't say, "Okay, you got one shot on the simulator. Learn everything there is to know about all the emergencies there are in flying." You know, well, of course that's not going to work very well. It's cumulative. You don't get to do the advanced stuff till you've mastered the simpler stuff. It's a cumulative thing. So he has to go through it, learn the easy, learn the simple stuff. He has to go through it again to learn the intermediate stuff. He has to keep going through it until he's figured it out and learns it. And nobody says, oh, you've been through it six times. That's enough. You're a pilot. You know, he keeps going through it until he has become proficient and learns the things he needs to learn, until he's satisfied the purpose of that simulator. We're in the same role. We can't learn it all at once. It's iterative. We got to learn the simple stuff first. So we have to keep going through the entropy reduction trainer for consciousness. And that's thus the nature of it. And why are we doing this? Because we are consciousness. We're a piece of consciousness. And as we evolve, the system evolves. If the system doesn't keep working at it, the system will de-evolve, die and go away and just be random bits. That's the nature of entropy. Entropy will increase if you don't do something to decrease it. It's just a, another one of those facts of life you have to deal with. If you never do any maintenance on your house, your house will eventually fall apart and collapse. A house that, you know, the house you're living in now, if it just sat there, it might take it a century or even two before it ended up, you know, dust or little sticks on the ground, but eventually it will just return to the earth into nothing. That's the way entropy works. If you don't continually do maintenance, things will go away. They'll dissolve. They'll disintegrate. Even you take a battery. If you just let a battery sit on the shelf long enough, it's empty and won't work anymore. It's done, even though nobody ever used it. It just dissipates. Everything dissipates. And it's such that even if you took a block of steel and put it in a box, if you wait long enough, the steel wouldn't be there anymore. Steel has a vapor pressure just like anything else. And little molecules of that steel get loose and fly off all the time. And if you wait long, and it may be a long wait now. I'm not saying it, you know, be in your lifetime. It may be, you know, a billion years, but eventually it'll just disappear. It'll turn into an unorganized bunch of molecules flying around. And even those molecules will probably break up into simpler things. And then you'll have atoms. And, uh, you know, that's just the way the world works. If you don't keep putting input. You don't keep trying. You don't keep working on it. You go the opposite way. So it's either evolve or die. And if you're an information system, that means you need to keep creating new content, more useful content, or you end up as a bunch of random bits that have no content. So that's why you keep working at it. So where's the end? Well, there is no end. There is no end to having to do maintenance on your home, right? Where's the end? Well, you're a homeowner like I am, you know. There's no end, you know. You just keep putting money into that thing, and you keep painting it, and you keep, you know, refurbishing it, and you have to keep mowing that grass, and it just never ends. But that's what it takes, and that's the way this consciousness system is, too. It's got to keep working at it. So if it's going to survive, it needs to keep on keeping on. Some people have the idea that, you know, you get to a certain point, and you're done. Well, you're, you know, you're not really ever done. You always have to keep effort. If you stop and no longer continue to improve yourself, you will start to disimprove or, you know, go the other way. But that's just the way things are. That's unfortunate. You know, we'd like to just build that house and once we're done, that's it. We never have to touch that thing again. But <laughs> unfortunately, life isn't like that. And neither is with us. 
we say, all right, I've become love and I'm, you know, I'm enlightened and whatever. And I can just kick back and have a party and everything will be fine. You know, I've made it. Well, that means that you will start to deteriorate. And if you keep that attitude very long, you know, you'll have to, you know, have to start at a lower level and work yourself back up again. Constant vigilance, constant effort, constant intent is required. You're not done. The system's not done, so you know, we're just we're just part of this big system that's trying to trying to survive. And our part is to do what we can to lower our own personal entropy. The next part of Joe's question: Do beings let, that live as a particular life form within PMR typically reincarnate within the same evolutionary PMR branch and family of life forms? Okay, well, he kind of alluded to that in his in his first preamble, and that is that. Yes, consciousness can work its way up, right? So you could start, you know, I don't know, what's the smallest consciousness you can imagine? Maybe a bumblebee. Okay, you can start with a bumblebee. And if you're a really good bumblebee and you do good things as a bumblebee, maybe you'll go up to, I don't know what's above a bumblebee. You know, who knows? Um, you know, I don't know, a mole or a, or a bird or something. Who knows? But you go up maybe to something that has more choices. Okay, what you're talking about now is the size of your decision space. How many decisions can you make? And are those decisions things that allow you to make choices, you know, moral choices? This is good. This is bad. This lowers entropy. This raises entropy. So you can work your way up because once you've mastered one, then you don't keep doing the same things. And I like you stay in third grade forever just because you got really good at it. You go on and you take more choices. You, you would incarnate in entities that gave you a challenging array of choices that enabled you to evolve. And once, you, once it's no longer challenging anymore, then you need you know, a different situation. And that may, most of, the, most of this, this uh, evolution with, is within a species. In other words, you'll stay, you may stay in the bumblebee you know, a long time before you get to where you need another set of choices. You may stay in the human form a long time before you, you know, would run out of that because we humans have such a large decision space. So many ways we could go, so many options of how we could act or react to things, you know, the things we choose. So the decision space is immense and it takes you a long, long time to explore, you know, that much decision space. So that's probably unending at that level. But yes, you can work your way up. So if you happen to be a very, uh, um, well-evolved uh, monkey or dog or something, you may work your way into the human chain. So that does work. But for the most part, if you just look at the numbers, mostly incarnations take place within the same species as you were the last time. Now, you could change. It's a free will. If you want to do other things, you could. But basically, what you do is what's most efficient for your growth. So if you're a bumblebee and you say, oh, I'm ready. I know almost everything. I want to be a human next time. You probably would be getting a little far out ahead and you'd be overwhelmed with all the choices and it would be a very difficult thing to do. You know, it'd be like a third grader being dropped off in a, you know, differential equations class. You know, you just kind of sit around. People seem to be talking English, but Nothing you can understand, you know, it's nothing you ever heard before, and it just doesn't make any sense. You can't function, you can't answer your questions, you can't talk to anybody. It's just really not a very effective experience. So you, you don't want to jump. I'd be inefficient, ineffective. So mostly there's changes within subgroups, but there can be changes between subgroups. And yes, it does, it does work that way. Let me... Um, well, go ahead to the next one. I was I was thinking another tangent I could go off on here, but I I won't do that. Let's let's do the next one, Donna, and we'll see. Maybe I'll pull it all together at the end. All right. Well, the next question you've just answered. Uh, it has to do with um, more complex interactions. So we'll go to the last question. If multiple PMRs have been evolving over time within PMRN, did individuated units of consciousness evolve and migrate from other PMRs as new opportunities evolved? Sure, that's possible. You can move between different physical realities. And I guess I should say for our listeners, this universe is a virtual physical reality. We call that PMR, physical matter reality. Because the matter here appears to be physical to the people who are, who are in it, playing in it. Uh, 
this is not the only uh, tightly constrained rule set virtual reality that is in the larger consciousness system. There are others, other physical universes, you can say, that are, that are going along with it. That's not, the, that's not the same as saying multiple, you know, multiple um, universes that are just branches off of this one. They're just separate. And that's because the system doesn't want to put all of its eggs in one basket. Besides, it's probably got a lot of eggs. So it needs, you know, it can do different experiments to find out which way, which kind of virtual reality with what kind of rule set is actually better at creating choices that helps, you know, consciousness evolve. So it, it would not be a very uh, efficient or a very intelligent uh, system if it didn't try multiple things. Uh, so it has, and there are there, those others are there. I've been to many of them personally. So that's why I came up with that idea because that's part of my personal experience. Anyhow, uh, you can, you can incarnate to these other places, but again, it mostly doesn't happen. It's possible and it does happen some, but again, you're kind of a fish out of water. Once you know how this system works and you're familiar with it, it's just more efficient to come back here. But there's others that are similar to this. And if you can go there and after a while, you'd figure out what the social rules were and you could get along there. At first, you'd be kind of lost. But you'd be lost if you suddenly woke up and you were in a small village in China. You'd be kind of lost, too. You really wouldn't have the context, the culture. All that would be very different for you and it would take you some time to get used to it but you could adapt and that's the same with this so again most of the reincarnations are within a reality frame a virtual reality frame but you can go cross frame if you if you want if there's a good reason so that uh, that takes care of that one i believe is that have we, have we done them all? Yes. Uh, he just asked for some insights into PMR evolution and its relationship to evolving opportunities uh, for improving the quality of consciousness. Okay. Well, then I'll get back to that thing I was going to add because it really does answer this question. Let's look a little bit about how it is that this, that this um, consciousness and virtual reality thing gets started how do we end up, you know, how do we get this data stream? How does the whole evolution thing work? I think it'll answer this question and probably several more that he didn't ask, but probably wanted to. And that is, in the beginning, we, go, we have a consciousness, a larger consciousness system. It's decided it wants to create a virtual reality, which will be a provide context and feedback for the choices that individuated units of consciousness can make that will help them grow up. So it starts a um, it starts a simulation with a rule set and in this in this simulation okay its characters are all computer generated characters okay so we know that in world of warcraft there are characters that are called um, non-player characters npcs that means the computer generates them well when this when this virtual reality started computing they came up with a rule set and they probably did a thousand iterations before they got a rule set that actually produced something stable. Again, this is evolving. So eventually, let's say we do have a rule set. It is stable, creates a stable virtual reality. And all the characters in it, of course, are simulated because it's a simulation. Now, on our planet, we had that first cell, which became multi-celled things, which became, uh, you know, cells that differentiated, which became higher order things, right? We go from fish to reptiles to, you know, mammals to monkeys to us and so on up the evolutionary chain and all the branches that it has. Well, the way it works is that when you have something, when you have some avatar, I'll say all the characters are computer generated characters at this point. It's just evolving. And he looks at, they look at it and say, well, you know, this thing, this rule set we have and this way we started this, the initial conditions has produced this virtual reality that has these things that are making decisions. They have decision space. They have that, that ability. That then is a place where somebody can get involved, where a consciousness now can go in and make those decisions. The consciousness then is making decisions, not the computer. So it would go from a computer-generated character to a character with a player playing it, you see. 
Now the player gets the gets the benefit of making choices within that decision space. Now the decision space of a you know clam probably isn't very interesting because it's just too small. You know, there's maybe only three or four decisions it can make and they're pretty boring. So nobody would probably be too interested in doing that. But you may have some very low level units of consciousness that might take to that. There may be some that would like to do the bumblebee thing. There may be some that want whatever. So as this thing evolved, slowly the computer generated characters turned into players as units of consciousness, which of course are on all levels, decided that this would fit me. This, this is a challenge for me. I would like this. And they get into it and would become players in the game. How do they become a player? Well, first, remember, we have this individuated unit of consciousness. It's aware. It's changing data. It's already got data connections to other things. Well, it takes a piece of itself and it partitions that off, you know, a piece of memory, a piece of itself. It partitions it off. And I'm using the word partitions kind of, you know, I got my little fingers up here, you know, little quote marks on partitions. It's sort of like a partition that we think of in, in uh, computer science. So it partitions off a part of itself. But that part that it partitions off, it doesn't connect to its data streams. It leaves it disconnected from any data streams. All it does is give it its potential its essence, the way it is. In other words, everything that it's learned up to that point, all the quality that it's earned, it has the potential for that, okay? Because that's where its parent was. But it doesn't have a history. It doesn't have, you know, it's got no experience, no history. It just is a potential. It's not even a real consciousness yet because it's not conscious until it has choices to make. So until it gets hooked to a virtual reality, it's just potential consciousness. So now this potential consciousness, you say, oh, here's, a, here's an avatar in this play, a, a computer-generated character that would give this piece of me, this free will awareness unit, I call it, a challenge to do that. So what you do then is you just connect that to the data stream. You've got a server that's creating this virtual reality. So now instead of the computer saying jump, run, fight, you know, whatever it is it's doing, you know, feed, sleep. They say, all right, you, you give this entity now instructions. You make the choices, and I'll stop giving it instructions. You start giving instructions. So it's just a matter of connecting that free will awareness unit up to the server and let it make the instructions for that piece. That's how we get attached, and it's an immersive game. When we play World of Warcraft, we take a break, go to the refrigerator, get a sandwich, come back, you know, 10 minutes later, start playing again. This piece is immersed in that avatar and it sees, feels, smells, whatever the whatever kind of senses the rule set has created in its evolution. That's the data it gets and it has to learn how to interpret that data. Okay, so that's how it gets started. As it evolves, it can go to higher, more challenging life forms. Okay, we're talking about in the beginning now. Now, let's say the system has been doing this for a long time. Now you see it's not quite as, oh, there's an interesting life form. It looks like a good challenge. I'd like to get connected to that. That kind of was more in the beginning. Now it's like, okay, I've been doing this. You know, I'm challenged by this human thing, or I'm challenged by this dog thing, or whatever it is. I'm going to, uh, you know, keep working on that till I get better at it and can move up. I can level up, right? I guess that's the right term. You can level up to a bigger challenge. So that's sort of how that works. So all we are is a consciousness with a connection to a server, and we pass data back and forth to the server. That's it. And we only know, we only have experience, we only have a history from when we first attached to that avatar on. Okay, when we attach that avatar, and let's say that's at birth, let's say we attach that avatar at birth, then we learn how to interpret the data just by experience. And that's, that's our free will awareness unit. So that's kind of us, how we get connected, um, you know, it's, and how we are the consciousness for this, for this avatar. So does that mean that maybe there are still some computer-generated characters around? Well, yeah, maybe. 
But now we have more mature system now. This has been going on for how many, uh, you know, 100 million years or whatever that we've been evolving life here. So it's been going on a really long time. As you can see, it does kind of settle out eventually, and it's not quite as, uh, 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 you know, random or, or you're just jumping around in the system as it, as it used to be. But that's the way it works. So, yes, we, you know, we, we can grow up through uh, different species, and yes, we do. Uh, you know, we do move on to more chat to more bigger challenges. But when we get done with that, our free will awareness unit then just dissolves because our our individuated unit of consciousness that kind of cordoned off, partitioned off this free will awareness unit, it's gathered all that data. You know, it's still got a connection to that, so it's getting all the information and all the choices that it that are being made. So this free will, this. Um, yeah, to, as far as the free will awareness is concerned, its uplink is to its individuated unit of consciousness. That's its quote unquote higher self, if you will. That's that's where it's spawned from, and that's what is collecting all the data. So now that life ends. That uh, you know that avatar gets run over by a truck, and now there's another avatar, and you play it again, and that individuated unit of consciousness now is synthesizing all this experience, trying to learn from it, raise its quality of consciousness. So that's how it works. Sometimes that uh, individuated unit of consciousness might have two or three avatars going all at the same time. They may even be related to each other. You know, that's a possibility too. It's not typical, but it's a possibility. And it just collects this data. It learns, tries to grow up, and it's in this constant cycle of attaching itself to an avatar being totally immersed in that avatar and then it uploading all its data as it goes to the, to the individuated unit of consciousness. That's kind of the, the mechanism. Now, everything I'm telling you, of course, are metaphors. You know, don't, don't try to put these things in concrete. It's a, it's a, these are ways that we can parse the information so that we can talk about it in our language and understand the concepts better. That's what metaphors are. Everything you talk about has to be a metaphor. And all of our metaphors have to be physical-based because that's what we learned. That's how we learn to interpret data is in terms of this physical reality. So everything is kind of physical-based. So in our mind, we see all these separate little physical pieces and they're connected by wires or, or pipes or something, and that's what we turn it into. But understand, these are all metaphors, you see. So they're metaphors, so we get a, a comprehension of the concept. We need those, otherwise we can't, we can't uh, form thoughts about it if we don't put it into an expression that is informed by our own experience. Tom, Adam had a question earlier. Our, our new individuated units of consciousness, do they always start at the most basic level? I think that yeah, that goes to what you... Yeah. yeah, not necessarily, you see. There may have been, let's say we have this larger consciousness system as this, uh, as this new virtual reality comes online, and you could have some uh, individuated units of consciousness that right away, uh, you know, didn't never came here in any form until they got the human form because they're already at a point where it was the human form that challenged them. And you may have others that started with the bumblebee, you know, or the dog or something because that was a challenge for them. So no, they don't all necessarily come here to this physical reality at the same point. And they're not necessarily all created at the same, in the same way. So you have a larger consciousness system and it can, it can put together a subset of itself that's, you know, more or less capable. And that may, you know, the ones that are maybe less capable maybe make better bumblebees. The ones that are more capable may make better monkeys, you see, or, or humans. So they don't all have to be exactly the same. I, I don't think of it as a factory. And the factory produces, you know, so many, uh, you know, million units of individuated units of consciousness, you know, every year. It's not like that. The system creates what it needs, what it needs at the time. So think back when it was just first evolving, when it didn't even have 
virtual reality as, a, as an idea yet because it hadn't evolved that far. It hadn't evolved to where virtual reality became a good idea, much less that it found a rule system and a set of initial conditions that was stable to use, much less generated, you know, let the, the simulation run out to where you have it to where it's useful. You see, so you have earlier times when the units of consciousness were probably pretty simple, probably pretty basic, because the whole system was pretty simple and pretty basic, you see. And those things are all still useful. You know, they make maybe really good bumblebees. You know, they make uh, really good dogs, perhaps. And some of them may grow up from the bumblebee to the frog, you know, to something else and end up being a person. Some of them don't. It kind of depends. Free will. They do what they want. So they all aren't created equal. They all weren't created at the same time. It's all this evolutionary thing. And just like um, our evolution, we still have bumblebees flying around, you know. Everything, all life didn't evolve to be humans. You know, we got this this really broad variety of things that, that do well, have their own niche. And I expect consciousness is that way too. It's got a whole variety of things that have their own niche, of what they do and how they work. So... Um, you know, it's not just a cookie cutter arrangement that pops out little humanoid individuated units of consciousness. It's evolved just like this has. And there's all types and all levels and all capacities and all things. And, and you know, they, they all can play in the game. There's really no reason to delete them all. You know, it'd be like us saying, well, you know, humans, we're the, we're the, you know, they have the best, uh, the biggest decision spaces here. So let's just kill everything else. You know, let's delete it all. We don't need it. Breathing the air, consuming our oxygen, eating our foods, you know, we'll just get rid of everything else. Well, it's a bad idea, right? <laughs> because we see we're all intertwined here. There's connections between us and, and uh, it's just not a, a, a nice thing to do. So I suspect the larger consciousness system isn't quite as, intertwined as maybe we are on this planet under this strong rule set because their rule set's a lot looser but still there's probably some of that historical stuff going on and i doubt the system just deletes things because it's found something better it probably can still get use out of all the parts if those parts are functioning and and working until it runs and if it runs out of bits and up to capacity then it might start deleting you know the things that are least productive but it seems like it has an awful lot of bits. I, I haven't noticed any strain, you know, from anything that from anything that I've seen. So I don't think running out of bits is really an issue. You mentioned free will, and we're talking about individuated units of consciousness. At the beginning, before the virtual realities came into existence, were there having free will as part of? evolution were there conflicts between good and evil well um yes let's talk about that for a minute first let's talk about the free will thing there was that primordial consciousness we talk about which is just the the simple awareness that uh, could differentiate between a couple of things okay now that is not what we would call consciousness what we call consciousness today our concept of consciousness is much bigger than that that's what I would call primordial or maybe a prototype consciousness. It's the thing that, that it's just the logical place you have to start, right? You can't, you can't go back any further than that. That's right. As you go back through the logical steps of evolution of consciousness, that's the starting place. All right. Now, eventually it got complex enough and, and uh, so on that it split into individuated units of consciousness. So it's like in biology, we, we split into, into, uh, you know, multiple cells. We didn't just have one cell. You know, we had uh, we had things split into multiple cells, and we not only had a bacteria, but then we had billions of bacteria um, that we that we uh, that were created by our evolution. And then the bacteria got around and cooperated and made multi-celled things and so on. Well, this system, as soon as it got to the point that it it's a communication system, so when it broke in two, it had something they wanted to communicate with. I mean, that's what an information system does, right? It's just information. It passes data and then it interprets. So when it created another, another, uh, when it created the, the, the second thing, otherwise it just had a monolithic one thing that we started with. Now it breaks into pieces. So it can, it makes a piece. What does it want to do with that piece? Well, it's a communication system. It wants to communicate with it, right? It's an information system. I mean, it, it wants to trade information. Now, 
it only gains lower entropy by creating something new and different if that system has free will. If that system doesn't have free will, it hasn't created anything new. It's just it talking to itself, right? It, you know, it's like you holding up your fingers and having a conversation, you know, with those sock puppets on each of one of your fingers. There's nothing new there. You and those sock puppet fingers aren't going to come up with any ideas that you don't already know, you see, if there's no free will. So when it had to break things into pieces, it had to give those pieces free will so that they could have their own decision space and interact as they want. Now you got a sock puppet that's actually talking to you, you know, that's got its own consciousness, its own uh, decision space. Now you can, now you've got something that has more um, uh, degrees of freedom. You know, there's more places, more complexity. You've just, you've got something new. So free will came in as soon as there was something else to talk to. So as soon as there was a, a another entity, as soon as it split was a, from a one thing to a two thing, that second thing had to have free will or there really wasn't a second thing. It was just one thing in another configuration, you see. So that's where the necessary necessity for free will is because the whole point of breaking into pieces is that you get a whole nother dimension of complexity can happen as the pieces interact. You know, that's what happened in our biology, right? As all these bacteria and all these things interacted, a whole world of complexity developed up around that that you didn't have when it was just one cell. So that's where the free will comes from. Now, all the individuated units of consciousness have to have free will. Otherwise, they're, they uh, are useless. They can't, you know, there is no function for them otherwise. So free will is necessary. Now, if you have that individuated unit, that second one, and it has free will, and you have to communicate with it, what do you need to do? You need to create a virtual reality before you can communicate. Why is that? A virtual reality is basically rules. A virtual reality is created by constraining information. Okay? If you constrain it, well, a language constrains, you know, it's, it's a constraint, right? It, you can't just go blah, blah, blah and make up words as you go. You have to use the same word everybody else uses. That's a constraint. You know, language is a rule. It's constraint. It works on rules communication protocols or rules so when it had to when it had to when it split for more degrees of freedom more novelty uh, lower entropy it also had to one give free will two it had to create the first virtual reality which was communication protocols and a simple language so that's the first virtual reality now also what else was a big what else was a first there uh, another first was that just when it was the prototype of consciousness and it only was aware of being this state or that state, that means that it was aware of change of this state, then it changed to that state. Okay, so if it was aware of change, then time is defined because without time, there is no change. Everything just stays exactly the way it is forever, nothing ever changes, nothing grows, nothing evolves, nothing happens. Just the fact that this thing evolved meant there was time because it was in this state, then it evolved to the next state, you see? So time, and again, I'd call this primordial time. It's not the time like tick-tock, tick-tock that we know. That's what I'd call regular time, regular in that it has a regular beat, okay? That's a different, that's a, that's a technology of time. But primordial time is created just by change. The state, then that state. Evolution. Now I can do six states. Before, I only did three states. Now I can do, you see, that's time. Change. Evolution. So time is required. So, so now we have an individuated unit of consciousness. It had to have free will. It had to have a rule set, which means a virtual reality. And it has to have time because all of these things go together to make up what we call consciousness our concept of consciousness is that interactive communicating machine right that that uh, thinks and and processes and so on that consciousness that comes to decisions and makes choices can't exist without a virtual reality without time and without free will 
So all of those things, those three things are logically necessary for our, for what we call consciousness. Okay, you know, that's, you know, you may not have thought about it in that way, but that's the, that, those things come all together. So we say, well, what about free will? How do you make free will? You know, well, free will had to be given to the other piece. Otherwise it wasn't a piece. It was just a part of the, the original. It wasn't a separate piece. So it's required. There is no consciousness if you don't have free will. There can't be consciousness and free will. So if we're conscious and we can think and, and analyze, then we must have free will because those two things can't be separated. Uh, you must have a virtual reality. Otherwise, you can't even communicate. You just have two things, but they just sit there like blobs and, and can't interact with each other. So the virtual reality is a rule set that allows them to interact. It defines how can they interact. Okay, that's what that's what a virtual reality does. And communication protocols define how they can interact because they are information systems. You know, they're not going to pat each other on the back. They're going to communicate. They're going to pass data back and forth, and they need a virtual reality to do that in. Now, the virtual realities grew and got more complicated and more complex, more and more interaction, uh, some feedback, and you end up with a physical matter reality, virtual reality like we got. So you can see that the virtual reality is also a necessary component and that it too then evolved naturally. So we, we want to get away from the idea of thinking that somehow somebody, you know, this, 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 this thing that started consciousness one day said, oh, I'm going to make a virtual reality. What a cool idea, you know, and it doesn't work like that. It all just evolves from this very simple concept and it doesn't evolve randomly. It's not like this. Well, I think free will would be a good idea. Free will is necessary. It can't go to step two without free will. You see, it can't go to step two without starting a virtual reality. Can't go to step two without time and time then Regular time becomes a technology. Fundamental or, or primordial time was always there because there was change. There was evolution. But now the idea of, oh, I can, I can flip a state on, off, on, off, on, off, and I can do that regularly. Then now I have a metronome. I have a clock. And now I can sequence things precisely according to my clock. Well, that's another whole dimension of organization that I didn't have before. You see? So... Regular time is a technology that takes time and uses it in a way that gives you another whole dimension of order, putting things in order. Remember, reducing entropy is, is making order out of things. So um, that's kind of how these basic units go together. So you can see how this thing's evolving, and it says virtual reality. Well, we, we need that. Well, let's have a little more, a few more rules so we can get some context here. Well, we need some feedback. Let's do that. And the whole thing just evolves and it turns into what we've got here. So it wasn't just a good idea that it's, it thought up, you know, it put it down on paper first and, you know, made up the plans, drew up the rule set. You know, we, we don't think of it like that. It just happened. It just evolved to be the way it is over lots of time and effort. So this whole thing's just a natural system. It's not the, it's not the idea, you know, when, with, in, in the religious idea, you know, the answer for everything is God does it, you know, but that's not a good logical explanation for things. You know, I mean, you could say that, but it just takes one, one statement and you, and you run across, you know, thousands of, of, of logical steps that had to happen in the process and you just leaped over all of them and say, God does it. Well, you can say that it's just not very helpful, you know, so you can say, well, the larger kind of system just did it, but it's not very helpful. But if you see how it all had to go together that way. So it's not that free will was a good idea that it came up with. Free, free will had to happen for it to, for it to happen at all. It was necessary. Virtual reality had to be a part of it for it to happen at all. Time had to be a part of it for it to happen at all. So these things are all very fundamental and basic things. Yeah, that's sometimes when I hear these people say, there is no time. All the past and present and future at all is it's simultaneous and there is no such thing as time. You know, I go, no, you don't understand. There has to be time. If there's no time, there's no evolution, there's no change, there's nothing. Whatever there, you know, you know, nothing can change. Nothing can move. Nothing can grow. Nothing can become. It's dead. You know, it doesn't, uh, 
you know, it, it's, no, it's got no moving parts, you know, there's no, there's no function to it. So it, it's just nothing. So without time, nothing else is possible. So this kind of thing, uh, there is no time, everything we see and all of our evolution and change. What do you mean evolution? If there's no time, there is no evolution. There are no choices because it's before you made the choice and after you made the choice. That requires time, you know. Yes, of course there's time. Time is one of those things that's fundamental. Free will is fundamental. Consciousness is fundamental. Virtual realities are fundamental. And space now, space is just computed. Space is, a, is somebody in their computer, you know, uh, decided that they'd have three dimensions, you know, three dimensions and create space. And, you know, I create space all the time in my simulations. You know, if you make a simulation of an airplane flying through the sky, that's a 3D simulation, and you've created space, virtual space, inside your computer. There's space in the world of Warcraft. That's what the elf walks around, and the trees and the rivers flow, and the houses are built, and all of that is three-dimensional. Okay, so the world of Warcraft server is creating space. Space is just a calculation. It's not fundamental. Time is fundamental. And even the, the quantum mechanics uh, folks figured that out. I remember, um, what was it? Um, oh, one of the original guys that worked at, um, because of the research and he did, one of his statements was that, you know, therefore, time is more fundamental than space. That so they came to that conclusion. I can't think of his name right now. It'll probably come to me later. But, you know, physics has come to that conclusion that time precedes space. And indeed it does. It has to. It's fundamental. Space is calculated. There is no f fundamental space. It's not necessary. It is for us to conceive of it. When we think of this larger conscious system, we kind of think a thing, it's got space, you know, and it's spread out and all because that's the way we think. But all it has to do is be able to communicate. And we say break apart. Well, that's space because now you have one here and you have one over here, but that's just our conceptualization. That's just the way we do it. If you're inside a computer, there, there isn't space. Inside a computer simulation, there's no space. This is an information system. So anyway, well, that was a long, oh, that was a long diatribe on, on this. But I, think <laughs> I, I think I hit a couple of key ideas and key points that probably had a lot of people confused, which is why I wanted to, why I wanted to do that. Yes, you did. There's another question coming up on free will. Um, you you stated though just previously, free will requires separation. Separation allows for decisions, and then decisions are where the conflicts or the learning comes in. Um, if there are separate entities, there may be conflict, but that's necessary for sure. learning. Exactly. If you have multiple entities and you have free will, <laughs> you're you're likely to get conflict. And then if you have, uh, you know, like uh, a billion entities, entities and they're all interacting with each other, you're guaranteed to have conflict because that's the way it is. And particularly when these individuated units of consciousness uh, are at a very beginning level of where they start in order to grow the quality of their consciousness. Now, somebody might say, well, why didn't we all start? with only individuated units of consciousness that are completely illuminated and, and, you know, they're all love. And what's the start there? Well, all right. Now, where do we go from there? You see, where's our evolution? Where's our change? Where's our growth? Well, you haven't changed anything. All you've done is take what you had and duplicated it. You don't decrease entropy through duplication. See, it's, it, you have to create, you have to change, you have to grow. It takes effort to reduce entropy. You don't say, well, I got a book. I'll just, I'll just make a hundred copies of it. Now, you know, I've, I've really decreased a lot of entropy now because I have all these copies of it. Well, no, you put things together, the ideas, strung the letters together to make the book in the first place. And that decreases a lot of entropy because you took random letters in the alphabet, and you put them in just the right ways with the right punctuation that it turned out to be this marvelous book. That took a lot of entropy reduction to do that. But just making copies of it doesn't. You see, the point is that we have to continue to work at lowering entropy. 
So just saying, well, all right, I've evolved to this point. I'm just going to make a whole bunch of evolved beings, and now we're done. <laughs> so you haven't accomplished anything. You haven't, you're not still growing. You're not still becoming. You're not really lowering entropy. All you've done is duplicate. So that's why we are as we are. We're, we begin at a pretty low level because that gives us a long way to go and a lot of entropy to reduce in the process of going there. And we, uh, you know, we, we work ourselves up, but uh, everybody just doesn't start at the top because that's not effective. System can't grow that way. System can't stay active and effective and becoming, which is what it needs to do. Continually create, produce. Duplication is not a way to reduce entropy. So that'll maybe answer that question as, as well. So yes, when you have a lot of things with free will, some of them are going to fight with the others. Some of them are going to complain. They won't like it. I want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. Well, you know, then they go choose up teams and, and uh, you know, struggle with each other. And when they happen to have pretty high entropy consciousnesses, then they particularly struggle and fuss and fume because it's all about them. You know, it's a, it's a big ego issue. No, my way is better than your way. So sure, that's just a part of, it's not a necessary, it's not necessary. Some people think, well, you know, good and evil has to balance each other. You need as much evil as you have good. And if you have somebody who gets really good, somebody else has to be just as evil as they are good. Nonsense. It's not like that. It's just that the situation is such that we do have both good and evil, and that's just a fact of the way it is. We can grow up, and we can, as a, as a species and as a planet, get kinder and gentler and more grown up and become love. We can do that. It's not there has to be the same amount of evil as there is love. It's not, it's not that simple-minded. We can grow and become something entirely different. We can become cooperative and caring of each other as opposed to it's all about me and gimme. And that will, that will affect us. So, yes, we are slowly evolving the quality of our collective consciousness here on this planet. Things are not as rough and mean-spirited as they used to be. And you don't have to go back that far in time to notice that. You can, you know, you only go back a couple of hundred years and the change has been fairly dramatic. So, yes, we, we're progressing. Lawrence, why don't you go ahead and ask the question you had typed? Um, I can't find it again. All right. Um, hey, Tom. I was, I was going to ask if, um, if consciousness is uncreated, if it's um, eternal, so to speak, unbounded and infinite, um, then this means we were talking about, we were just talking about time. And I was wondering, does this mean that consciousness uh, is working on a, its own eternal time that was never started or created, a time that just always existed? Okay, I see your point. Uh, the answer to that is it's impossible to know. Our, I would say our system is a natural system, but that does not make it infinite. It's a finite system, and the reason I say that, I have a lot of people who take issue with it, but it has to be finite because infinity doesn't exist. Infinity is a, it's just a concept. You know, nothing can be infinite. Nothing real can be infinite. You can approach infinity, but you can never get there. You know, it's that sort of thing. So no real system can be infinite. This is a real system. So it's a finite, it's a finite system, but it is a natural system. But we started with this assumption. Actually, we started with two assumptions. And one of them was that just this, this uh, primordial consciousness just existed. We just start there and say, all right, that just existed. And we also say that uh, evolution which is basically a process of change that, mod you know, things modify itself. It's a natural selection. The system changes just because it does. It may be randomness or whatever, but it changes. But the changes that are good and productive and help it survive last, and the changes that aren't productive fizzle and, you know, eventually go away. So that's the way evolution works. So between those two things, you start with this uh, primordial consciousness and you give it a, a chance to, to um, be self-modifying against its own its own uh, requirements, which is to decrease entropy, then you end up with consciousness in this system and virtual realities and all the rest of it. 
But to say, well, where did that, you know, uh, original uh, consciousness come from? That uh, primordial consciousness, where, what's its source? And the answer is no way to tell. And it's not because we just haven't figured that out yet. It's not because it's, um, you know, it's there and, and we just don't know it. There's just, it's impossible to tell. It's a theoretical limit on our knowledge because we are consciousness. We can't step outside of the larger conscious system to see where it came from. It's like the logic of uh, you cannot you cannot observe the process that led to your own birth. You see, it's the same thing. You know, you weren't born yet. You can't see, you know, all the process and what happened that led to you being born because you just weren't there. And that's that's kind of a, it's it's a logical problem. It's not a uh, it's not a failure of information. Uh, Oliver, are you getting background noise for me? Nope, you're okay. Nothing. Is it okay? Yep. Okay. I hear a vacuum cleaner running in the background, and I was wondering whether it made it into the video. All right. Uh, so, so it is a natural system. It is finite, and we just don't know. And we don't know because we can't know, because we just cannot go outside of consciousness to see its origins. So we just have to start there. And that's the nature of, you know, that's, that's kind of the nature of reality. Look at biology. Biology can't tell you where the first cell came from. But it says if you give me a cell to start with as an assumption, I can tell you how it evolved to become everything that we see here, all the life forms. And physics can't tell you where that original plasma that went bang and caused the big bang that created the universe, they can't tell you where that came from. They can say start with this assumption that that plasma was there and we can evolve how this physical universe, you know, evolved from that plasma according right. to the rule sets. So everything has to start from an assumption because nobody can, nobody can go analyze the process of their birth, you know, that, that brought them up to the, up to being born. And it's just a, it's a fundamental logical issue. So, you know, people can also have the idea, well, then couldn't it be a, you know, because virtual reality can create a virtual reality, you know, they can be nested and they, they might think that, well, then this is a like an, an infinite series. Can't the larger consciousness system have just been a virtual reality that was part of a larger virtual reality? It could. And could that have been a part of a large? It could. But it doesn't have to be. You know, it started somewhere. And we don't know, we'll, we, will, we won't know that one because it logically is outside of our realm of the things that we can know. I know that's a tough pill to swallow. That was the one thing my son uh, got most uh, bothered by when he, when he read the books. He said, not only did I learn that I don't know everything, but what's worse, I can't know everything. And uh, that was a big shock to him. I think the biggest shock was that he didn't know everything. He was 17 at the time. And the next bigger shock was that, you know, he never would know everything. So it's just the, it's just the way it is. And we kind of accept that, but time. So it's, it's just going to go on. Does that mean it's going to go on forever? Well, not necessarily. It just means it's evolution. Evolution is open-ended. It just goes, you know, there's no end to evolution. You know, we humans aren't at the last point that, you know, our race will ever become, you know, we may look very different a million years from now than we do now. You know, same with, uh, you know, critters may be different. We may have new critters here that we don't have a million years from now. That's a lot of time. So evolution just keeps on chugging. As long as there's some place to change into that's more productive than what you had before, or at least is as productive, then it's just going to keep on going. The only time it stops is if it gets to a point where there are no more choices left. There's nothing else, you know, there's no other configuration it can take. But when you have something that's completely complex as well our biology is you don't expect with all that complexity you're ever going to get to a point that says nothing can change you know there's always things can change things can always you know in our environment will change you know we have a bunch of volcanoes go off and block out the sun for ten thousand years and things change you know stuff happens and change is just driven by that random stuff that happens that's stuff from the from the rule set and the consciousness is like that. It, it started somewhere. 
it's evolving. It's still evolving. And as best I can tell, it's just going to keep on evolving. And we have some cellular automata that are like that. The cellular automata, you familiar with those? It's a, it, they basically take a, like a, it's like a checkerboard and they make rules. They do it on a computer and they make rules that say, um, if, uh, you know, white squares and black squares, and if a white square has three of its four sides connected to black squares, it turns black. And then there's other, if a, if a black square has three of its side connected to a white square, it turns white, you know? And if you make up little rules like that, then you just let the rule chug, let evolution go on those rules, things will happen. And in that case, uh, all the blacks would end up on one, one end, all the whites would end up someplace else. You see, they'd all tend to, to segregate. Now, if you, have a, uh, if you have a more complex rule, you can get all kinds of patterns, and some of these rule sets are such that they never end. At least they never have yet. You know, the thing just keeps on. And it just keeps creating novelty and creating new choices. So as it produces new things, the new things themselves create more choices. And you're always creating more choices than what you're, you know, than what you're using. So it just seems to go on forever. And I suspect that's the way this is. It's one of those things that has a rule set in our biology that, and, and uh, physics that goes on forever. But the consciousness is also like that. You know, it just is going to keep, it's an open-ended evolution that doesn't actually going to run up against a stop. So again, the people who want to know, where's the end point? You know, where do we quit? I don't think there is an end point. I think we're just part of a, of a living thing that's just going to keep on keeping on as long as it can, which I don't see that there's any end to it at all. Does, does that mean that um, that consciousness, does consciousness have a, a fundamental objectivity to itself that, that just nobody can measure, only itself can measure? Like if it's individual, you know, well, like maybe it's one part. Yeah, I missed that very last part. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I was just saying that if, if maybe like one part, a, a part of it is monolithic. I, I remember, uh, remember you spoke about um, mm -hmm. consciousness uh, having boundaries. And I was thinking that if, if consciousness has boundaries, does it have some type of fundamental like potential space or like space, maybe like a like a filament, like a flame or something that it some type of objectivity that it that maybe nobody can can measure, but yet yeah, it's that, monolithic. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, consciousness is a system. And you know, systems don't just pop out of nowhere and just become, you know, out of nothing. So we have to wonder there is a source somewhere. And that, that, uh, that first assumption was created you know, by that source, but we don't know. So if it's finite, that means it has a boundary. So what's outside of it? We don't know because we can't, we can't go outside of consciousness because we are consciousness. So the answers to all of those is yes, maybe there's all that. Maybe we are part of a series. Maybe there are other individuated or another, uh, you know, like larger consciousness systems like ours. There may be other conscious systems out there. We may even be a cell among many cells of larger consciousness systems that make up something else, you know, and you can do all kinds of conjecture, but it's all conjecture without right. any, without any theoretical possibility of it being anything other than conjecture yeah. because we're, we're trapped inside the system. We don't know what's out there, but we we can't get out there. It's like the stum it's like the bacteria in the stomach just can't get out and appreciate, you know, the, the the sunshine because it just there's no way for that to happen. Is it is it differentiating between itself? You know, like for instance, like the the objectivity of the of the system is it differentiating with its non-local self? So maybe like outside of it is just itself again. You know, so like basically. The, it's non-local nature, which would probably um, be like acting at the being state, like the fundamental nature is like the being state. And maybe the uh, the objective state is sort of like mimicking the non-physical state, like sort of like the, the intellectual intellectual mm -hmm. part of it. I don't know, maybe that's not right. But and maybe it's just differentiating between that, you know, like. Yeah, it's how, yeah, like how aware is it of its own boundary? How does it differentiate between itself and not self? I don't know. You know, it's um, is a is your computer inside your computer aware of what's not computer? No, because your computer isn't aware. But if it was aware, 
would it know? Well, it would know that it has connections that come from elsewhere, you know, like electricity, you know, comes out of a wall that must come from someplace, but it wouldn't know where. There'd be no way for it to find out. But it would know that it had an interface, right? It'd say, okay, I'm a computer and I'm aware and I, I get this this potential, you know, I get some electricity and plugged into that, but I don't have any way of knowing where that comes from. It just comes from somewhere and I'm glad it do because it's, you know, it's what makes me work or how I can, how I can work. It's what motivates me, but it can't from its end. It's just receiving, you know, a 60 cycle, 120 volt source, but it has no idea where that came from, nor will it ever be able to figure that out. Right. So it's kind of like that. Now, I don't know where, I don't know that it, uh, whether it's aware of its boundary, even whether it's aware that it has a boundary, like fish aren't aware that they're in water, you know, it just is, you know, it's, I don't know. Those are questions I I don't answer. They're too big. Those (laughs) questions are too big for me. I'm not, I'm not that big to, uh, to answer those, but I think mostly we just can't tell that, uh, and as far as us and our and what it is we're supposed to be doing, which is decreasing our entropy, it just doesn't make any difference either. But they are interesting conjectures that we can come up with. And I've done that. Part of my book, I do that. I go into some of the conjectures, some of the possibilities that uh, you know might be out there. But you have to realize it's just conjecture, and don't take it too seriously because we we have an awful tiny point of view from where we are. Right. And with that, that small point of view, I don't trust all that big picture that I'm seeing. Right, right, yeah. I just was, I was just wondering that because I, I um, I've I've read some some stuff on with uh, Maharishi, and they asked him a question like, "Who created the creator?" And it kind of made sense, like what you were saying, for, uh, compared to what he was saying. He was saying that that um, it was uncreated, like it's uh so there's no creator of it or something like that. And he said that silence and dynamism, these two things are its opposing qualities. And silence to me means like the, the unboundedness and dynamism seems like, like objectivity, you know, like it's just, it says, uh, yeah. well, those, so are, those are good. Metaf- yeah. Those are good metaphors, but basically what he's saying with those metaphors is, you know, it's an assumption. We just start there. You have to start someplace. So saying, well, the creator just just was. See, that's his assumption. It just right. started, and, and then the metaphor. He's so he's doing the same thing. He's starting with an assumption, which it just it just was, and then from that assumption, he is using some metaphors to try to make it sound reasonable. But right. basically, it's a I don't know. It's all conjecture. But because we're here, we know there is consciousness because here we are, and and we're conscious. So. And because we can do out of body and do other kinds of things with our minds, we can kind of know that consciousness is bigger than just what we see here in this in this universe. And consciousness is on another level; it's in another reality frame. We kind of know that, you know, it's not physical. But then we kind of run out of firsthand knowledge, and we're starting to to guess. So I would agree with him. But what what he uh, what he said is that it just was the creator of the creator. The creator doesn't have to. He's just saying we start with an assumption, you know, and and that's that's basically the basically the same thing. And then the the rest of the metaphors are saying that the the you know the assumption comes from something that's larger than big and you know more profound than we can imagine. Well, all right. That is, if those kind of metaphors make you feel like like you have a better handle on it, but they are just just ways of making it sound more palatable, but still metaphors. Right. 